The following podcast contains explicit language. The thing about the NFL is that even though it's the sport with the fewest games, the beat is nonstop. Since we last spoke a few days after the Eagles season ended, I've been to the Senior Bowl, the Super Bowl, and covered the Eagles' delayed end-of-season press conference. It's certainly not digging ditches, but by design, there's always something going on. Next week, I'm headed to Indianapolis for the NFL Scouting Combine where we'll hear from Nick Sirianni and Howie Roseman. It's the event that really marks the start of the NFL offseason. But on February 21st at the Fittler Club in Center City, I spent an evening with a couple of veteran reporters on the beat that I've previously worked with, Zach Berman from All City Philly and Jimmy Kemsky from phillyvoice.com. We met with Philadelphia Inquirer subscribers for a roundtable Q&A about the state of the Eagles. We taped the event and wanted to make it available to all of you as a pod. So from Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts to Howie Roseman and all-season roster moves, here it is. (laughs) All right, everyone, thank you for joining me. Uh, I guess I'm mic'd up here. We'll be doing the podcast live, uh, Uncovering the Birds, so your voices may be heard on one of the episodes that's upcoming uh, for the podcast. Hopefully uh, you've caught some of the episodes. Before I get started, I want to introduce... Uh, my colleagues here. So I'll start with Zach because I have uh, the longest history here with Zach. Uh, Zach uh, joined the, the uh, Inquirer in 2012 to cover the Eagles, and he was basically my, my co-pilot on covering the team, and we did it together for how many years, Zach? Seven years. Seven years, yeah. So we, uh, we had a lot, many um, trips together, uh, many discussions. There was a period there where, where my wife, who's here, um, said, you, uh, you talk with Zach more than you, you talk with me. <laughs> Um, but any, uh, Zach, introduce yourself and, and to the audience here and, and uh, tell, us, tell everyone a little bit about how, how you came to the Eagles. Yeah, first off, this is, this is awesome for me because I love the Inquirer. I, I'm 37 and I've read the Inquirer just about every day for 31 of those 37 years, um, ever since I started reading. And uh, it was my dream job and I, was lo- I, I interned at the Inquirer in 2007 and then I was hired in 2012. Uh, I worked there for seven years, like Jeff said, and it was uh, it was incredible uh, working with Jeff. I learned a ton working with him, and uh, I'm extraordinarily proud of those seven years. And then after that, uh, I I went to the athletic, like was mentioned, for four years. Uh, really enjoyed that, and uh, had a great experience there. And this past September, I, I joined a a new company, PHLY All City, and that so I, I do a daily show, noon every day, online. It's a chance to kind of grow in front of uh, the screen, or on screen, in front of the camera. And, but as far as, as, as far as covering the Eagles, I grew up in this area. Um, I've been following the Eagles for a long time. And early in my career, I, I, was, uh, I, I came up in, in newspapers. I was at the Washington Post covering college sports. And all I wanted to do was cover the NFL. And so uh, every place, every city I would go, I would see these, you know, I, I was covering college football on, on, on Saturdays, and on Sunday I would see the newspaper, and no matter what happened, uh, the big story was football. And then during the week, no matter what, ha- I was covering University of Virginia and Virginia Tech, and no matter what happened, um, whatever happened at, the, the, at the, the Washington football team, then the Washington Redskins, now the Commanders, but... Um, if, if there was an ankle sprain for a backup left, uh, left tackle, that, that was more important than anything that happened on the UVAB, right? So I, I, I wanted to cover the NFL. Um, I started doing it in 2010, covering the New York Giants at the Star-Ledger. Uh, but 
I was kind of circling Philly, going from D.C. to North Jersey. And I only wanted to be back in Philly. And uh, I had that opportunity in 2012, and I've been here ever since. Thanks, Zach. Uh, Jimmy, um, Jimmy's got a great story. How I mean, um, how he ended up uh, covering the Eagles. And I, I tell the story to a lot of people, but um, Jimmy obviously could tell it much better. You're talking about the Boyko one? No, just how like you your previous <laughs> okay. your previous career. Yeah, so I uh, did sales for like ten years out of college. Uh, I originally wanted to write movies, but when you get out of college, you can either write movies and live at home for the foreseeable future, or you can get a sales job and live on your own. So I chose not to live with my parents. Love you guys, but sorry. Uh, so I was in sales for ten years, doing various things, sold copiers. Sold medical malpractice insurance, sold, uh, you know, I was in like the Wall Street world, et cetera, et cetera. And I'd had no, like, I was okay at it. I just had no passion for it. So I started my own blog covering the NFC East, uh, built up an audience, and I was able to break in actually at Philly.com, uh, originally, which it was a lot different in those days. There was Philly.com, the Inquirer, and the Philadelphia Daily News, and there was, you know, some, you know, some cohesion there, but there were their own separate entities. <laughs> and I was there for about a year and a half, um, uh, fin- for a season and a half, rather, with the Eagles. My first day on the job was literally Chip Kelly's first game <laughs> with the Eagles against, uh, you know, against Washington. And um, I was there for a year and a half, and then I got an opportunity at Philly Voice, and I've been there ever since. So I just finished my 11th season uh, covering the team, and I like doing this. A hell of a lot better than selling than selling copiers and printers. <laughs> um, so I, I, we're gonna get right into the Eagles discussion because I know that's what most of you here are for, and and I want this to be kind of as casual. You know, um, we have conversations all the time in the media house sure. and on the road. And in fact, I was just saying. Um, in Seattle, one of the last meals we had on the road on that Saturday night was Jimmy, Jimmy and Zach, right? So, and um, you know, obviously the team right then was not doing well, and we all know how things finished, uh, losing six of the last seven, including the playoff loss to Tampa. Nick Sirianni returned. Um, let's start there, um, and, and I guess Zach, I'll start with you. Were you surprised? I w- I was not surprised if you had asked me the day after the season. Uh, but as it went along, as they were quiet, there was no white smoke coming out of Novacare. Uh, then when it lingers and you're talking to people and you hear, you hear some things and you hear, you know, you hear the name Bill Belichick, for instance, and you just wonder, um, you know, is, is what's going to be the resolution here? But uh, practically, I looked at it, that you had a third-year coach who'd been to the playoffs all three years, was in the Super Bowl year two, uh, who had uh, an 11-1 season. And I said it, it would really, you know, I, I, I know Jeffrey Lurie likes to be bold, and, but it would really be bold, like extraordinarily so, to move on from a coach like that unless you had someone in mind that you were going after. I didn't think they would do it to uh, kind of commence a search from ground zero, if you will. And so... Uh, no, I, I'm I'm not surprised because what what's made Nick a you know three-time playoff coach and a Super Bowl coach year two, uh, he still had a lot of those characteristics. But I figured that there were going to have to be significant staff changes, 
and we've seen significant staff changes, particularly on the offensive side. Um, so, so once Brian Johnson didn't come back, and they, uh, you know, they 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 started this OC search, then yeah, I, I figured then okay, this 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 makes sense. But and I imagine we'll get to it. Nick, uh, he's returning without the same type of clout, if you will, that he had at this time last year. What'd you hear about Bill? I'll, I'll, we'll share. We'll lay our cards out <laughs> on the table because I'll tell you what, what I heard and and and, um, and, and why. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, and, Bill Belichick. Though. Yeah, and and Jeff can probably tell you some of these stories. I'm I'm probably a, a little um, too conservative with reporting sometimes because I, I I get worried that I'm 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 hearing whisper down the lane in that you know you're hearing from this person who talked to that person who talked to that person, and and so when that's happening, you're like, all right, how true is what you're hearing? But when you hear it from different angles, that's 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 when you say, all right, there there might be smoke here. So so nothing concrete that I would say like this was going to happen. But when I kept hearing his 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 name um, from from different angles, if you will, then I said, all right, maybe there is something there. But it obviously didn't come to fruition. Yeah, like my question was like, okay, well, first originally I remember like we did a story on, on uh, a podcast episode on Nick, and I was like, well, you know, typically you know Howie and uh, excuse me, I'll start with Jeff and Howie, want to serve a certain type of head coach, and we've seen that, you know, with these last, with pretty much every head coach that Jeff has ever hi- hired. They're, they're guys who've never coached in the NFL before. Um, increasingly with Doug and Nick, you know, Howie factors into the equation because you want, you know, you don't want someone to come in and all of a sudden want full power there, Howie's out, and Jeffrey loses his conduit to the team. Um so I was, I was like, uh, Bill's never going to happen. Then someone very close to Jeffrey told me, no, no, Jeff, Jeffrey would hire Bill. And, and he'd be, and, and how would he be okay with it? I think Bill initially maybe didn't have a lot of respect for Howie because maybe he didn't come from the football background. Um, and, and, and had, maybe that was just a kind of, uh, he didn't really know him. And then having worked with him for a little bit in terms of dealing with and making trades, um, he came to respect Howie. I know you probably heard yeah, the same thing. Yeah. Like they, they could work together initially. Like so, I, I was, you know, who knows how it would have panned out. Bill, after maybe a few years, would have been like, I, I can't make this work, or how he was probably fearful about whether he could he could last or not. So, so when that kept being told to me, I was like, okay, this is something that yeah. maybe could really real, realistically happen. Um, Jim, Jimmy, what, what, you know, get, to get back to Nick, yeah. Um, a lot of people will say that, you know, oh, he's back. He wasn't in trouble. Meanwhile, like, we're, we're all writing as much. We're suggesting as much. I, I think it's pretty clear that he, they, Jeffrey seriously considered it. Why do you, why, I, I'm assuming you agree, I mean, too. there's no question about that, obviously. I mean, it, it took them over, I think it was over a week anyway, for them to actually call the press conference and, and have them speak publicly to us for the first time. Um, but when you look at you know what Nick Sirianni has been over his three years in Philly, he's got a phenomenal record. He, the Eagles went to the playoffs the last three, the first three seasons of his tenure, and those are good arguments. But like that collapse, arguably the worst in NFL history in a single season. I don't mean to sound, sound hyperbolic, but they were ten and one. They had a two-game lead over the entire rest of the league. When they were ten and one, every other team in the league had at least. Three losses. <laughs> they lose. It's not even like a quarterback got hurt or something like that, or any like star players got hurt. They just collapsed totally as a team. And you know, not only did the players not play as well 
as they did in the first half of the season, but they got out coached in every single game thereafter defensively. They had obviously the weird switch from Sean Desai to Matt Patricia, which was ill-advised. And, you know, the first half of the season, I think they were like number one in run defense through like the first nine games. And then they, they I think they, they gave up one, there's one game where they gave up over a hundred rushing yards. Thereafter, gave up a hundred rushing yards in every single game. That from, you know, from week 10 on, uh, I think they gave up like 140 something yards per game. And that was the least of their problems was stopping the run. Cause obviously they couldn't stop the pass either. Just complete meltdown on defense. And then offensively teams figured out how to stop the Eagles. And that was just to blitz the crap out of them. And the Eagles had no answers for it whatsoever from a scheme perspective, from a play calling perspective and from a perspective of the quarterback. Uh, perhaps not making the right checks at the line of scrimmage and, and going to the right places with the ball when he was getting blitzed. So it was a complete failure on both sides. Special teams were good, but on offense and defense, just a complete failure from a coaching staff perspective. And I thought that if they had made the move to fire him, it was justified. But I also certainly thought that keeping him, um, you know, also made sense. And, you know, whether, you know, in, in talking to, you know, whether they talked to Bill Belichick or not, uh, and they, they were really seriously considering that or not. I th- I wonder how much it factored in how, you know, how highly thought of the head coaching job in Philadelphia would be after they fired Doug Peterson, you know, three, four years after he won a Super Bowl and, and then Nick Sirianni a year after he went to the Super Bowl and has a, you know, sterling record and, you know, went to the playoff three straight years. And of course, the, there's the Howie Roseman factor where he does not want to give up personnel control. So if a head coach is interested in that, then there's the possibility of them butting heads. So I don't know how much it factored in on how much they felt the job was going to be appealing to other people or not, but um, ultimately they kept him. And like Zach said, I think like when the season began, he had maybe the second coldest seat per se, in the NFL behind just Andy Reid. Now it's one of the hottest heading yeah. into uh, yeah. 2024. Yeah, so like if, if anyone, has, and I think a few people have come up to me or sent me messages and asked me like, you know, oh, how do we know how close Nick came to getting fired? I'm like, well, I mean, we, we don't know the full staff yet that's been that's been fired, but when your top two coordinators are, are told, not told, I mean, Nick obviously factored into the decisions, but when they're let go, that, that tells you... Uh, that Nick got close, they're telling you you need to make these significant changes on both sides of the ball, and 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 beyond that, it's going to be the quarterbacks coach. It's it's going to go pretty deep on the defensive side. It's pretty much every position coach, from what I understand, will not be back. Um, and and Nick's, as you mentioned, I mean, being on the hot seat, I mean, his power is. Um, it's not I mean, his offense anymore. I mean, he doesn't really have. I mean, yeah, uh, we can we can dive into that a little bit um, now because that'll transition to the new coordinators that they did hire, and they moved pretty quickly in doing so. They hired Vic Fangio to be the defensive coordinator that they wanted to get last year. They got him this year. Um, what happened there was I don't want to revisit history too much with the whole Jonathan Gannon thing. Um, because of the way it happened, Vic had already get, agreed to take the Dolphins job. But when they couldn't get Vic, Vic, they went to Vic and he said, well, if you can't get me the next, next best guy, Sean Desai. It was his protege. That had a big deal, a big reason to do with uh, why they ended up hiring. Although they, they had uh, another candidate. They wanted the Georgia defensive coordinator before, before Sean. Glenn Schumann? Yeah. yeah Schumann. Um, so Vic Fangio is now going to be the defensive coordinator. And then the offensive coordinator is going to be Kellen Moore, who's going to bring in a new scheme. 
Um, I think they're going to keep some of the parts of Nick's scheme. I don't think it's going to be like he's not involved in it at right. all, obviously, and he's going to have quote unquote final say. But um, Zach, let's start with let's start with the let's start with the offensive side because that's yeah. the most important side. Um, and and what do you think firing Brian Johnson is going to mean to Jalen Hurts? And and what do you think this new scheme will mean for Jalen Hurts? Uh, I, I'm going to leave Nick out of the equation yeah. right now. Well, from a football perspective, it's trying to maximize Jalen, right? Um, the, the, the reason they changed the offense in part is because they, they have a 250 million plus quarterback who regressed this year. And there are a number of factors there. It's not necessarily just coaching, but I, I, I think that they, when I say they, the, the organization, so whether that's Jeffrey Lurie, Howie Roseman, Nick Sirianni, it was, a, it was an offense that, to use Nick's words, got stale, right? So there are certain concepts, and, and we in the media and, and fans can make a big deal about stuff like motion rate, how often you're in motion, um, and uh, you know different formations that, that, that you might use. But the reality is the offense they had was turned out to be unimaginative, um, and it wasn't working. And it, 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 they weren't maximizing their talent. Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, right? Uh, this offensive line. So, yeah, from from Jalen's perspective, you're 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 moving on from the quarterback coach he, he had for two years, the offense coordinator, someone he's known since he was a kid, as you've documented it on uncovering the birds, right? Yeah. In in, in, in Brian so Johnson. And 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 by the way, I I uh, I mean Brian Johnson doesn't need me to defend him, but I don't think Brian Johnson was necessarily calling Brian Johnson's offense last year either, yeah. right? And, and so Brian Johnson was operating with handcuffs on, for lack of a better term, there uh, at 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 times. But as you know, as Jordan Mailata told uh, Jeff at the Super Bowl, like you know, someone needs to take the fall in, in those situations. And so you bring in Kellen Moore, and it is a a much different offensive philosophy. Like the offense will look different this year. Now I do think Nick Sirianni. Uh, can have some of his background in there as well, and he's still the head coach. But you don't hire Kellen Moore to run Nick Sirianni's offense. You hire Kellen Moore to run Kellen Moore's offense. And and part of that is to make it conducive for Jalen Hurts and to try to maximize Jalen Hurts. And I think everything that this organization is doing, uh, in particular offensively, but even from like a, a, a macro perspective, it's with the the idea that they have a franchise quarterback, and how do you make the most of this investment? You mentioned like Nick Sirianni's offense and and Kellen Moore's offense, and there was a question um, that was asked at, at the press conference with Nick Sirianni, Howie Roseman after the season, when they explained that you know someone's going to bring a new scheme on the offensive side of the ball, and then Nick was asked. So if you're not gonna if you're not gonna run your scheme on either side of the ball, what, you know what exactly is it you do? It's kind of like the office space <laughs> question. Um, that's what would you say you do here? Exactly, <laughs> which I don't think was entirely fair. And, and, I'm yeah. on Nick's side on this one. Yeah, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, he definitely isn't doing as much as he previously yeah. did. But there, I mean, he's still the head coach. I mean, there's still a lot involved in, yeah. in, in that position. Can you explain some of the the, the nuances of that? To, to yeah, absolutely. Answer? Yeah, I mean, he's he's the head coach of the football team and. That might that might seem obvious, but that's that's what his job is. Like like Monday to Saturday, what is he doing to get this team ready? How is he structuring? There's there's a leadership component to this. There's a, um, there's an organizational component to this. Uh, uh, then on on Sundays, game management 
is a huge job. And frankly, I didn't think Nick did a good enough job last year uh, in in situational football and game management. And he needs to be sharp there. But like the idea that the head coach needs to be the play caller uh, is to me that's 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 not the case. I mean, John Harbaugh, he's had multiple offense coordinators with different schemes. Todd Monken this year. Uh, Greg Roman before that, he won a Super Bowl with, with Jim Caldwell. Um, before that, you know, he had Cam Cameron. Like, you go on down the list, and John Harbaugh is one of the great coaches in the NFL. Uh, I mean, Mike Tomlin does not have losing seasons. He does not call offensive plays, and he's had multiple offensive coordinators, multiple defensive coordinators. Uh, your job is to be the head coach of the football team, and so that's what, that's, that's what they're hiring Nick for is his leadership ability and to be that voice overseeing the team. Not to interrupt, and I'm sure yeah. you may mention this one point. The difference, though, between those is those guys weren't hired because of their offense and their yeah. offensive genius. We were told that's why Nick Sirianni, if you go back to Jeffrey Lurie's opening press conference yeah. with Nick Sirianni, that was like, I went back and looked at it. I'm like, this is, it's all about his acumen. And, and, and so all of a sudden to have that stripped from you and to be demoted, oh, yeah. that's now, it's now you're, I mean, like again, now all of a sudden, you know, the emperor doesn't have as many clothes. And you're, Nick, Nick Sirianni's yeah. offense did work very well. Yeah. In 2022, obviously. I mean, they dominated the NFL. They did, did whatever they wanted, both in the run game and the passing game. Everything worked. And their offense was kind of elite that season. And it was just a year ago. And, and two years ago in 2021, things weren't going well early in the season. And then they sort of tailored it to Jordan Hurts, or Jordan, Jalen Hurts' strengths. And they ran the ball a lot and they were really successful that way. But I think what happens is, especially after 2022. Nobody cared what the Eagles were doing in 2021. They're a team that barely made the playoffs. 2022, they're blowing teams out every week. They go to the Super Bowl. They almost win the Super Bowl. Teams start paying attention at that point for a couple reasons. One, they want to steal what's working well from yep. the Eagles. Two, they want to be able to stop the Eagles, especially the, team, the other teams in the NFC East and the NFC as a whole. So I think... And actually, I think this was, this was on your podcast, maybe, where Nick said, "Yeah, they, he before didn't, the season, he didn't want to expand the playbook so much. He wanted to perfect the things that they already did well. Which, okay, in theory, that sounds fine, but ultimately, when you are now the target and teams are specifically trying to hone in to stop what you do." That's not a great recipe if for that's success. That's what really happened. So. I went back and listened to it because it was an interview I did with Nick before the season about another topic, and I listened to it, and, and, and Brian and I listened to it, my producer, shout out to Brian Seltzer back there from Odyssey. Um, we're like, oh, shit. What did he just say? He said they shouldn't try and change things up as much. <laughs> right. Well, that's not probably going to work because these these – these defensive coordinators in the NFL are super damn smart. They're going to figure out what yeah. you're doing. And I, and I felt like, like with the draw play, they figured out that play and the zone read and the RPOs. They took that away for the most part. After the break, we really dive into Jalen Hurts. Stay with us. You want hometown coverage that's just as obsessed with Philly sports as you are? Then access your obsession 24-7 only at Inquire.com sports. Get in the huddle with over 40 expert reporters and editors, all covering your birds and other Philly teams. Catch all the insights, analysis, and much more only at Inquire.com sports. Hey, this is Brian Seltzer. 
I love producing Uncovering the Birds and working with Jeff, just like I love working on the other podcasts we produce at KYW News Radio. We've got the John Cast, which takes you on these really fun, unique, and unexpected journeys about the people, places, and things in Philadelphia that make our city so distinct. There's also In-Depth, which is my go-to pod for thoughtful, down-the-middle analysis of current events and other topics affecting our world in Philly and beyond. Gone Cold explores unsolved murders in Philadelphia. Bridging Philly brings you stories that connect communities on the issues that matter most to you. And One-on-One has great conversations with people in sports you should absolutely know more about. So give the full slate of KYW News Radio original podcasts a listen. Download the free Odyssey app and follow KYW News Radio for Philly's best original podcasts right at your fingertips. This is the Uncovering the Birds Roundtable, taped live February 21st at the Fittler Club in Philly. I'm Jeff McClain. Zach Berman from All City Philly and Jimmy Kemsky from Philly Voice join me. We turned our attention to franchise quarterback Jalen Hurts. Let's transition like completely to Jalen because obviously that's like, I mean, he's the number one guy, the big contract, everything is about Jalen Hurts. Yeah. He's getting paid the most. He's got to be the best player on the team. And, uh, you know, I, I actually went back and watched uh, some of this from him. That, like he wasn't that bad this year. Um, and, and you can qualify it with, you know, again, like the offense was stale. The play calling wasn't always great. The defense wasn't as great too. So that affects the offense to some extent. Um, but he still had one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. He still had A.J. Brown, who's healthy for most of the season. Devontae Smith, who's two of the best receivers. Dallas Goddard was out for a period, but um, he had a good running game. So clearly he was not the same guy. Um, yeah, I guess I'll start with you, Jimmy. Um, if you stand back, big picture, what do you think are the biggest issues with Jalen you know, this past year, but more importantly, like, that could potentially, you know, hamstring him down down the road. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it wasn't as bad as uh, I think a lot of people are going to remember it because they finished so poorly, but they had uh, plenty of games, or Jalen Hurts had plenty of games where he was a stud, like the Bills game, for example, when they got behind heavy in that game, and then he yep. brought them back, and they win that game, you know, thrilling finish in overtime. Um, so it wasn't all bad. <laughs> But as far as you know, what teams were really successful doing to him late in the season was they just they just blitzed the crap out of him. The Wink Martindale of the Giants blitzed him; he couldn't handle it. Um, uh, Jonathan Gannon and the Cardinals blitzed him plenty, and he couldn't handle that. They get into the playoffs against the Buccaneers again; they see the blitzes, couldn't handle it. And again, it's not all hurts; it's scheme, it's play calling. But I also think some of the blame falls on Jalen in that he wasn't. I think. Uh, you know, whenever he saw the blitz, his first instinct was to evade and then try to make a play down the field, whereas most teams will try to beat the blitz with quick hitter throws. And again, a lot of gray area in between, you know, whether that's on Hertz or whether it's on the scheme and the play calling. But um, uh, certainly I think that was something that affected him early in his career, and he got better at handling that in 2022 and took a step back in that regard this past season. Let, let's settle to the whole thing about, like, was he healthy or not? Or what, True. You know, why didn't he? I, I mean, he didn't, look as, he didn't look as swift running this past season. as Like, you look back at some of the plays. Like, I was just watching some clips from 
the Super Bowl against the Chiefs. Same here. <laughs> He's running around like crazy. It's like that, that he did not look like that guy in no. 2023. So, um, you know, he did have leg injuries this year and, you know, whether to the, to the degree that they affected him, uh, you know, who knows, but he did not look like the same kind of runner that he was a year or two ago. What do you think? Cause I thought from the beginning of the season, like he didn't, he was healthy at the beginning of the season and he didn't look like the same runner. It seemed like he was, there was this like internal clock in his head about, when to get down, protect himself. You know, I'm getting paid 255 million. I thought maybe that factored in a lot of that too. Coaches were telling him to best abilities, durability, et cetera. I felt like that factored into him a little bit. Yeah. And, and like that was an ongoing question going into the season. And my perspective on that all, all along was that you, if, if you're leaning into Jalen Hurts, lean into the Jalen Hurts experience, like part of what makes him special is how dynamic of a runner he is. So I don't think I, I think harnessing that is is literally harnessing your quarterback. Now that said, uh, he he was banged up, especially after that Rams game in early October, um, and I don't think he was as effective of a, of a runner from there. So you can say that maybe injuries contributed to that, but without him running the ball effectively, he's not nearly the or he's not the same quarterback. And the other part too is. The, the turnover rate was, was, yeah. was really low two years ago, and he turned over the ball at an exceedingly high rate this past year. And, like, the, the quickest way to reverse your fortunes as a quarterback as an offense is to turn the ball over. It's empty possessions. And so I think that, that was the biggest issue there is um, he was more careless with the ball. Uh, I'm trying to be careful with that word, but he was careless with the ball. There were throws. There were fumbles that were just ill-advised. You think about the Jets game, right? They're, they're, they're going to win that game. And he throws a, a bad interception. You think about the Seattle game. They had a chance down the stretch to uh, make that close or to win that game. He threw a bad interception. Patriots uh, week one, he fumbled. They won that game, exactly, but that could have easily yeah. cost them the game. Yeah. And, and so uh, the running's part of it, but he needs to take better care of the ball. And I think um, that, that point needs to be reinforced to him. Uh, and this is something Jeff did a good job asking about throughout the year is, you know, the Eagles publicly are, are very careful not to criticize Jalen. Um, but what you want to know is what are they doing behind the scenes? Like, is he getting the hard coaching that he needs? And part of that might, it like, like part of the reason why our antenna might be up on that is because you know, we all cover the Carson Wentz experience. And, and there, there, there are two different people. The injuries were much more significant with Carson Wentz. But one thing you saw was that when there were staff departures, he wasn't getting this the same hard coaching that he got earlier in his career. Yeah, and I, you know, I do want to emphasize with all this because it may seem like we're coming down with Jalen. He's like 25 years old. Exactly. He's gonna be 26 this off season. Wired the right way. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like he he's got a lot going for him. But you know, if we can peel back the layer a little bit, um, and two, I, I just real quick on the injury thing, I had been told by like multiple sources like mid December, I'm like the knee. They're like, no, the knee's not a problem. So like I felt like at some point like people kept asking that oh the, how is the injury and I was like I just kept being told like no he's fine physically, um, but in terms of like the hard coaching um, and what's happening behind the scenes and you know is Jalen kind of you know as approachable as he needs to be in the locker room yeah um, you know some of the stuff that we've talked about on uncovering the birds and as you guys have, have certainly um, written about as well um, you know. I, you know You've known Jalen now for, for almost 
five years. Eh. <laughs> That's the thing. Like it's, it's tough to, it's, and I don't, I always feel like, okay, we're, we're kind of like, we're removed. We're not, you know, we're in the locker room. We're not these guys' best friends and we, nor do we want to be or should be. Um, but we do get to know them pretty well, but we don't really know them, know them. But like, I always felt like the way they treat us and the, the relationship you have with them generally tells you something about what's going on with them and their teammates and the other people in the locker room. Like, I mean, I know Jalen, I know J- Jason Kelsey very well now after covering him as, you, as well right. do you guys. It's like, he is the way he treats us. Yeah. You know, and, and with Jalen, um, he's got a lot more pressure on him. He's got a lot more to deal with. He's got a lot more people at him. Um, what's your impression of how Jalen is viewed in the locker room? Yeah, I mean, we've just seen player after player after player sing his praises anytime they're asked about him as a leader or whatever. Yeah. So I think we can trust that, you know, to some degree. Um, but, uh, like you mentioned, when you make, I mean, when you have the season that he had in 2022, that's great. And, you know, that's what you're trying to do as a player in the NFL. But it also comes with, bigger contracts. He's now making, as Zach said, you know, over $200 million. You can get pulled a lot of different directions, and it can be a lot to handle for... I mean, Jeffrey Lurie called Jalen Hurts the most mature, you know, young person. At the time, 24-year-old. Yeah, yeah. That, he's ever, that he's ever known, and he said, you know, even more than my son, who I think was like 28 or 29 or something like that at the time. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, his maturity certainly is uh, off the charts for a guy who is that young. But at the same time, uh, I think back to when I was 25 years old, and if I have $250 million and I was being pulled in a lot of different directions, it can be, I'm sure it would have been extremely stressful. And uh, when you have the weight of the city on your shoulders and you know the fans live and die with your wins and losses, it can take a toll, especially after a season where the collapse was as epic as it was. Yeah. Zach, um, what do you think? Yeah, so uh, who here has seen, uh, has, has seen the movie, uh, I'm sorry, the movie Bull Durham? Uh, yeah, so there's a line in there, um, I might be, be, be uh, butchering it, but the hot prospect, Nuke Lelouch, has, has fungus in his shoes, and Crash Davis, the veteran, you know, says when you win 20 in, your sh- in the show, you can have fungus in, in your shoes, and, and, and the press will call you a little colorful. Until then, you just a guy who has fungus in his shoes, right? Uh, and I, I bring that up as a way of saying, like, to me, Jalen, all the things that, that were said and written about Jalen a year ago are all applicable. Um, he is, he is wired the right way from, from, from where I stand. He has these leadership attributes. He's, he's a, he's a really hard worker. But the way that manifests itself when you win is different than the way it manifests itself when you lose. And, uh, and so when you're winning, it's perceived one way, and when you're losing, it might be perceived other ways. Like I, I, I hear this idea that, or that Jalen, um, you know, kind of needs to the be one of the guys more, maybe standoffish, and, and there's different interpretations for that. But I, I will also say, like, I mean, Jalen has the phrase "breed of one" trademark. Um, if you view yourself as a breed of one, almost by definition, you view yourself differently than everyone else. And that, I would argue, that's part of what makes Jalen, like, special for, to, to get from, to be a true freshman at Alabama starting at, at, at USC in, in your first game, in the national championship game, um, your first two years to be benched, like, in the most humiliating way, 
halftime of the national championship game to be benched um, uh, and to, to rebound from that, transfer, become a Heisman Trophy contender, to have, um, to be drafted by the Eagles and have this really awkward situation with the guy who was then your franchise quarterback. Like, in order for him to be where he is now, he had to be wired a certain way. And so similar to what I said about the way uh, he runs the ball and you don't want to harness it, I would say, if, if Howie or Jeffrey asked ask my opinion, like don't harness what makes him unique. Lean into what makes him unique. And there are things that Jalen can and should do, uh, but also the way it's perceived from, from, from my opinion is more result-oriented than, like, jailing-oriented. Right. I mean, like, and, and I, I wrote a story about this, and I feel like I need to kind of, like, maybe counter a little bit of what's been said because I've reported some of this uh, because it's, it's complaints that I've heard <coughs> from leaders in the organization um, about his stoicism. And, you know, it, it can be interpreted dependent upon the results, whether yep. they're having success. It's like, oh, he's this, you know, yeah. He's this quiet leader, you know. But otherwise, when things are going bad, it's just like, why can't he actually talk to some of some of the guys on the team besides AJ and Devante? Um, and, and there's complaints about like the body language, and and I think fans have those complaints just seeing it on the. And I don't think that's entirely fair. I mean, Donovan McNabb uh, received a lot of complaint because sometimes he'd smile on the sideline, and people would be like, "Why isn't he angry?" You know, like we are. Um, so I think sometimes it's not entirely fair. But I think in certain circumstances. Um, you know, they, when you're that, at that position and you are getting paid what you are and they need you to be a certain type of personality, um, you have to step up and you have to like kind of change, like everybody's capable of change, um, to some degree, to some degree you can't, you are who you are. And I think to some extent that's who Jalen's always going to be. And I think he, he, he hinted as much in the season end and press conference at his locker. And we've now starting to hear reports, I think Mike Garofold of the NFL Network put something out there that the Eagles have gone to him about this issue and that he's open to it. Um, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out with the new offense. I think that could play a big, huge factor into his happiness. I mean, ultimately, it's going to come down to whether he's performing well. Right? Absolutely. And, and I, I, I would say, too, that you have – you know, 52 guys in that locker room who are looking at you. Like, if, if you're the franchise quarterback, there's no interaction that you have in that building that does not resonate with the person you're having it with, right? Whereas uh, Britton Covey, not to pick on, on Britton, but um, the interactions Britton's having might not resonate with everyone else the same way Jalen's is. And, you know, I this might be recency bias because I, I was just watching the first two episodes of the new Patriots documentary. But you, that's one thing you see from, from Tom Brady is the ability to be one of the guys, for lack of a better term there. And there's a quote yeah. in, the, in the trailer there, uh, I believe from Danny Amendola, where he said, like, we were coached by, by Belichick, but, but we played for Brady. And, uh, uh, Julian Edelman said that. Oh, okay. That was, yeah, that was Julian Edelman. Yeah. So then that's, that's the reality of, of being a quarterback is, is that, um, the, the way you are with your peers matters. Yeah. 
I'm going I'm to start firing off some names on you guys, and then we'll talk about because we're running a little low, and we wanna, actually want to get the, the audience here involved in some Q&As. But, um, you know, Howie Roseman, at this point um, in his career, I wouldn't say he's entrenched, but, you know, he, he's obviously done it a long time. He's had great success, won a Super Bowl. Um, I mean, I always, I, you know, Howie to me is just, uh, he's got this unbelievable staying power. Some of it has to do with his relationship with Jeffrey Lurie, but... Um, and the fact that he can keep building these teams from the ashes, <laughs> these championship caliber teams, and he's done it uh, multiple times. Obviously, they didn't, they didn't win the Super Bowl last year. But this is the, you know, they're taking a quick step back um, from that from the team that just got so close in 2022. Um, you know, what's how what's how is Howie going to approach this offseason? Like, what's he have to do, uh, Jimmy? I'll start with you. Um, to kind of get this team back on the right, the right track, because as we know, with that Jalen Hurts contract, there's only so much he can do in free agency. Yeah, I guess uh, another way to answer this question is to kind of just talk about the needs of the of the roster. Um, yeah, which uh, I think there's two ways to look at it. One is long term perspective, which they're going to address in the draft, and two is short term, which is what they typically address in free agency. They want to at least have some kind of competent player at each position so that they can feel like they're taking the quote-unquote best player available uh, in the draft. So short term, I think it's pretty easy to see that the linebackers are garbage, <laughs> that they, they, need to, they need to upgrade there. The safeties, uh, certainly, uh, they, they need help at safety as well. And then to a slightly lesser degree, you look at the offensive side of the ball, you have A.J. Brown, you have Devontae Smith, but then thereafter, uh, the next three guys Alameda Zacchaeus, Quez Watkins, Julio Jones, all free agents. They're probably going to have to bring in a, a, a wide receiver free agent as well. Long term, you look at sort of their needs down the road, and they're always going to, you know, skew heavily to the lines to begin with. You know, obviously they, they prioritize the quarterback position, but then thereafter it's the offensive line, it's the pass rush, then to a lesser degree wide receiver and quarterback. So long term... You look at Lane Johnson, who's is he 34. Is he going to be 34 in May? I think, yeah. I think he's 34 in May. But, um, you know, in my opinion, he's been just grossly underrated for the you know last half, de- half decade or so. I've always viewed him as kind of like a top 20 player in the NFL. Uh, I don't think he was that this past year. I think he was, you know, I, th- I thought he was still like a near elite player, but there's a little bit of a drop off there. He's getting older. At some point, they're going to have to replace him, and when they do, it's it's going to be a big drop off from him to whoever ultimately takes his spot at right tackle. So I think they need to. I think they're they're. I don't know if they need to do it so early, but I think they're going to address uh, the offensive tackle position in the draft with an early pick. I think that certainly cornerback is uh, a position that they have to address because pretty decent chance that they cut James Bradbury this offseason. Uh, Darius Slay is obviously getting older as well. They don't have a lot behind those guys, so they're going to have to bring in a young guy to kind of bring along so that he's ready to go whenever Slay is you know, not going to be playing anymore. So, uh, yeah, long-term, I'd say offensive tackle, quarter, short-term, linebacker, safety, wide receiver. You know, you know Howie pretty well. What do you think he's thinking right now about the team? <laughs> well, I, I think if you look at the actions, they, they think this was – more about the coaching than it was about the roster, right? Because they, they changed the coaching. Um, I, I, I do think there's, there's going to be a lot of shuffling, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think on the offensive side, I think Jimmy did a good job outlining 
the needed offensive tackle. But I, I also think they're going to view in the draft offensive skill player as, as something they need to upgrade, uh, that third receiver spot, uh, or, um, you know, the number two tight end. Like Dallas Goddard is older now than Zach Ertz was when they drafted Goddard, than Brent Selwick was when they drafted Ertz. Uh, so that's kind of an under the radar spot to watch. Yeah. But I, I think Howie views this as like he, he needs to be opportunistic. Um, he has a first round and two second round picks. Uh, and that's significant. That's, that's valuable draft inventory. He had the same thing in 2019 and they took Andre Dillard, Miles Sanders and JJ Arthur Whiteside. And only one of them became a regular starter for them. Right? No, not, they're all gone. Them. Yeah, they're all gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're all gone. So, um, this is a, this is a pivotal draft for him. And he has, uh, critical roster decisions with both of his edge rushers, right? Who are on the last year's of their deal. And Hassan Reddick's going to want a new deal. And as Jimmy outlined in a recent story, like, like needs that cap number adjusted. So maybe trading Hassan Reddick. Um, but, but then also he has a critical decision at wide receiver where Devontae Smith is eligible for a contract extension. The Eagles want Devontae Smith here long term. Uh, but to go along with that, when you pay Devontae, what does that mean for AJ Brown, who is a, you know, on a Hall of Fame trajectory? Um, so there's a lot of, it's a complicated offseason for Howie, uh, but <laughs> heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? This is why Howie, this is why Howie. Real quick, too. I and mean, like you're talking about like him, his view of the roster versus reality, I think, to some extent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And it's just why, it's, it's why, like, I think a lot of people who have raised this, this, uh, question to me, and I've raised the question to myself. It's like, you know, why would I don't think any coach in, under normal circumstances would have demoted? Well, first, the demotion of Sean Desai started at, at, at the bye when they were eight and one, when they took third down away from him and gave it to Matt Patricia. Um, and then obviously they demoted him at 10 and three. And, and, you know, clearly suggests that someone thought the, the coaching wasn't good enough for what was at yes. the roster, yep. which, you know, to me, screams <laughs> Howie Roseman getting involved somehow. Yeah. Now, yeah. I have not been able to report that yet. No one has. Mm -hmm. what, do you th what, do you th what do you think his involvement was? In that decision? I mean, I, I don't think there's anything that happens in the organization that is that Howie's not involved in. Um, but, yeah, I... I I can't say definitively what his what his role in that was, um, and Jeffrey for that matter. Yeah, uh, I'm, it's they've been known to meddle. It's something I'm, I'm I'm very curious about too. But you know, when you look at it, there was something how he said at that press conference Jimmy mentioned that was delayed a week, where he said you have to be careful uh, not to confuse something like not to confuse an aberration, um, or not to take something in and that's an aberration and overreact to it. And I think one of the critical things for Howie right now is whether he views what happened this year as an aberration or if he views it as an indication of a roster that's in peril and a team that, that needs major changes. Yeah. I, I'm gonna start, before we open up to, to the crowd, I'm going to throw some quick names at you, yeah. whether you think they're going to be back or not. Right? Okay. Jason Kelsey. Go. I think, and, he, and, I think he retires. Yeah. I'm going to say, I mean, I just I, – I think the further he – the longer he takes – just haven't been around him and hanging with him a little bit of the Super Bowl. I think it's like one of those things where like the longer he is away from it, then he thinks like he can do it again. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I think that also the longer he spends time with his wife, <laughs> the more she said, she's like, <laughs> you're, you're, it's time. It's time. What do you think? 
Yeah, I, th I, I think that's a Kylie decision as, as much as anything else. Um, but uh, yeah, I would lean toward no, but that's, that's closer to like a 50-50 than some of the other ones here. But oh, I, you, really? Okay, I'm leaning much more like not coming back. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm oh. leaning toward him not playing. Oh, okay. But I'm saying but like I don't think it's you know, after, it's 50 -50 after, after the season it was kind of interpreted as – like a, a foregone a, conclusion. A definitive decision. Right, because he, he basically intimated yeah. to his teammates that yep. this was um, done. But I don't think it's it, – I, I do think he he believes in, you know, taking time. And, and you know, there was a like – he was on Chris Long's podcast at Super Bowl, and Chris Long gave advice that Jeff Fisher said, which is never retire in the month that begins in Jay. Yeah. Right? Um, because in January, it's too raw, and then – July, it's uh, like it's a reaction to training camp. So I, I think this is the time of year when he's uh, he he has a chance to talk to his, his wife. Jason always out. cites Howard Mudd's advice to him, yes. which was, which was you'll know when you don't want to play. When in but, doubt, yeah. don't. Oh well, well, well that one. And he too, said, but, and he said that applies yeah. to most things in life. Yeah, no, but, but <laughs> the Jeff Stoutland one is Stoutland was uh, was was you'll know was was yeah, when you don't want to play, you'll yeah. know. And he says, well, I'm always going to want to play. And he's going to yeah. say, no, there's going to be a day when you wake up. You're going to say, oh, man, I, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Um, Fletcher Cox. I'm leaning toward no on that. I, I don't think he returns. Yeah. Go. Yeah, I don't think. I, I think, I think just, he's retiring. Again, I think Jordan, Jordan Davis spilled the beans. Um, <laughs> I, was just, I was just actually just listening to that again today, and he basically just talked as if it was like a definite <laughs> yeah. that Cox was gone. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's, that really is. And like multiple times. Like he said it like two or three times yeah. during his interview session. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think, I mean, he flirted with signing with the Jets last offseason. So he is open to playing for another team. It's not, he's not like, um, I thought of, he had his best year in like four years. Of, of Kel, yeah, right. I agree too. Like he, he had a bad year, I think, in 2021. He was a little better in 2022. He had good stats. And then this year, his stats this were year. down a little bit, but he was good. Yeah. But of, of like the big four. So Kelsey, Lane, BG, and Fletch, Fletch is the least likely to, is the is the most likely, in my opinion, to not finish his career in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, yeah, okay. BG wants to be back. You think the yeah. Eagles will bring him back? I do. Yeah. Yes, on the Same. Eagles' terms. Though. They like his uh, contributions as a culture setter at this point. And he's, willing to, take, and he's willing, willing to take a lesser yeah. role. Yep. Hassan Reddick? I think he stays. I don't think they trade him. I think, I'll tell you why. Because, like, so they they have to find a marriage of a team that is – willing to pay him what he wants to be paid or else they're not going to trade for him. And the Eagles have to be able to get the proper trade compensation in return. So to get those two things to marry up, yeah. a lot has to happen. And trades aren't as easy in the NFL as they seem to be sometimes, but with a player. And he's good. Like, I he's just a, think at a premium position, it's going to be easier to trade him and find a yeah. team. Whereas like the Darius had one team. Darius had the Ravens. That was it. Uh, Darius Slay. And he, Hassan will have a couple teams. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So Fair. I think, I think it makes it possible. And the cat number, to, I, I did the stay go graphic and I said he's gone and people were like, why would you, I said, well, I'm predicting he's gone because I just, the cat number, they have to do something different with that cat number. It's 21 million, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. The franchise tag, um, uh, the uh, window opened yesterday and players like Brian Burns, uh, Josh Allen are likely going, are likely going to be tagged. So you, there aren't that many premier edge rushers available. Hassan Reddick is in. If, if you look, Montez Sweat signed a deal for twenty-four and a half million a year. I know Hassan Reddick's older; he's also more productive. That's probably the range in which he's 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 going to want. The Eagles are going to have a hard decision to make, and and there's only there's only so many players you can pay, you know, twenty plus million a year. 
And we already talked about the receivers, Jalen Hurts, Lane Johnson. Um, it, it becomes tougher. So, and then they have that decision with Josh Sweat as well. Uh, so I think if, if they can get valuable draft inventory, um, and they can find a replacement at a lower price, then I think that's something they might do. Last two players, and I think these are quick. Um, it'll probably be, uh, James Bradbury and DeAndre Swift. Uh, James Bradbury, I think no. I think that's a post, I, I think he's cut post June 1st. But they really are, are going to have to take. A, yeah. it, it's a significant. It's a significant hit on their end. Yeah. And Swift. And Swift. Swift's an interesting one. I would lean toward no. But this is a loaded free agent uh, running back class. They're about like six or seven legit starting running backs on the market. And so the market might come to the Eagles in the, in, in that case. And I think if they can get Swift back at a number they like, they would do it. Okay, Jimmy. Yeah, they can't bring back Bradbury back. I mean, he's a he's a great guy. I, I've enjoyed my you know my time talking to yeah. him in the locker room. Really nice guy. He was brutal, and they they just they can't bring him back. And then Swift, you look at you know how they handled the Miles Sanders free agency last year, where he got actually the best free agent contract of all the running backs that were available last year, but it still wasn't that good. The Eagles could have, in theory, matched that if they really wanted him back. And I think they prove over and over again that they just don't value that position very highly. I think Swift gets something in the ballpark, maybe not as much as Miles did last year, but something close. And the Eagles are like, the Eagles are not going to pay that. Thanks, and they, they get drafts. Thanks for the year, but yeah. I, 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 agree. I, I just want to amend the Bradbury thing. I'm I, I'm not totally sold that he's that he's gone. I agree with what you're saying with with play. I I think they can look at that though as uh, if if they can fortify cornerback, they can take a shot just because they would take such a cap hit. By, by, by letting him walk that they might hope, if you look at Bradbury's career, it's been like on again, off again, on again, off again. They might say, all right, maybe next year's on again. And if it's at 30, at 31, you know. Yeah, it's, it's a risk, but that's a contract how he probably wants back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was fun, obviously, but uh, we want to hear from you guys. If anyone has any questions, please just fire away anything. Doesn't have to even be about the Eagles. Um, Zach can talk about his footwear. Testing. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, thanks for coming out. Um, I read you all. Jeff, I've read you for years. Jimmy, I like you. You have a little edge to you. And, uh, <laughs> Zach, I think I have to buy The Athletic. I haven't paid for that. I don't work there the anymore. PHLY uh, now. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, really, it's a two-part question. Um, back in 20, whenever the draft was here, my son and I went to this seminar that had like Mel Kuyper, Jaworski, Baldinger, Lewis Riddick. And Lewis Riddick said then, if you think all coaches in the NFL are equal, you're nuts. He said when he came in the league, he played for Jerry Glanville with the Falcons, and he got traded to the Browns with Belichick. And he said it was like going from a CYO team to <laughs> Yale. And I look at Andy Reid. He had, you know, Rod Dowhower, Tommy Brashear, uh, Johnson, Leslie Frazier, had all these coaches. I don't think our coaches were – I mean, I'm sure they've forgotten more football than I know, but I, don't you guys – one part of the question is Fangio – Kellen, uh, the, the whole, you mentioned, Jeff, that they might replace the whole defensive staff. I think that has to help, coupled with some talent. That's one. Like, do you guys think that will change things? And number two, you guys are around this team all the time. I'm dying. And that seven-game skid, I can just see the body language, and I don't know how much you can or can't reveal, but what was that locker room like? when you Like, after they lost to, to the Giants, I mean, you go in there, you guys, you know, I can tell body language with people I work with. I can tell when it's crappy. And it's just, I can, I watch every press conference. I see Nick stumble, humming, humming. I just, it bothers me. Like, you're yeah. either the leader or you're not. And the team just, 
Like, what, was it like dead man walking in that locker room? I'll answer the uh, second question first, and maybe you guys can jump in as well. Um, you know, I've been in some pretty bad locker rooms. Yeah. I, this was not the worst. 2015 though, was the worst. 2015 was really 2012 bad. The was end of 2012 was awful. 2012 was just yeah. like every, every week you got in there, it's just like, you know, guys did not want to talk to you, um, and you could just sense it that they hated us at that point. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, they, and they hated playing um, on that team at that point. I, I didn't get, like, I just felt like they were trying to kind of, like, find the solution, and they just kept trying to find a, uh, a reason to, every week it was like they were trying something new. But what I will say about the body language thing, and I think you guys saw it, and you mentioned it as well, to me, what I was noticing, and, and this, this is, like, not even just being in the locker room, although you would talk to guys, and be like, hey, you know, why was Josh Sweat, celebrating that sack oh, by yeah, himself. Oh, yeah, the other like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like when guys are scoring touchdowns, right. you didn't see any of the, the group celebrations anymore. And it was just like, you know, Jalen would run right to the sideline. And then even on the side of the bench, you know, then the, the, the body language would be like Dallas Goddard yelling at Jalen. He's just standing there stone-faced. I mean, that stuff does mean something. It tells you something. And then when you, you go and ask players on the side about it, and like, yeah, why? Well, it's like, yeah, because... <laughs> The culture's not great right now. Yeah, I mean, forget when they were losing, but like when they were winning, when they were ten and one, th- there weren't like celebrations in the locker room after wins. Like they, and a lot of it was because they were winning a lot of close games. I think, whereas the previous year where they were blowing teams out. But I thought the locker rooms were far more jubilant in 2022, and in the year they won the Super Bowl in 2017, like you saw the dog masks and all that stuff, and and like they were celebrating, you know, they all had all these elaborate touchdown celebrations during that 2017 season with the bowling and the yeah, and I mean the, it was, uh, the, it was the, tense, it was the electric slide team. and all that stuff, and there was it was a it was a team that had a lot the the Super Bowl team had a lot of fun together, and I think all the players sort of talked about that at length, about how together they were as a team, and we didn't hear really any of that this past season. Yeah, to your first question, I, w- I would say they better win quickly this year because uh, if uh, when you have a staff of a bunch of people kind of brought in from the outside who aren't coming up org- organically and you have a coach who clearly ne- a head coach who clearly needs to win this year, uh, we saw this in, in 2020 with Doug that – Survivor instincts tend to kick in sometimes if things go bad at some point, and uh, you know, like like you saw that well. So if 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 they get off to a slow start, then all of a sudden everyone kind of looks around and, and says, "Well, it's the new guy here, the new guy here," and you revert to what you know. Coaching I think matters. I think he, coaching matters. Yeah, uh, part of the question too was also like, what did he? What do we think about like? Is it a good thing that they're turning over the entire defensive staff? And 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 the, I thought the hires they made, like the two big hires they made. Kellen Moore and Vic Fangio. Makes I think sense. They, it they, makes were, sense. they were good hires, in my opinion. I look at some of the other hires around the league that other teams made, and I was like, uh, okay, good luck with that. But I think in the Eagles' case, they, they brought they in made, a very sense. competent offensive coordinator in Kellen Moore, and obviously a guy who's been doing it forever, who's going to give you a big fan. Like, they're, the Eagles win big in, you know, in 2024. They're going to do it because their offense is elite. Yeah. They just need their defense to kind of keep up to some degree. And I think Vic Fangio gives you a, a certain floor level. Yeah. That you can depend upon, where they're not gonna they're not gonna be what they were, obviously, in this past season because that was a total disaster. But I think he gives you a certain confidence because he's been around forever and he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Anyone else have a question? We uh, should uh, we should have you guys like shout your questions out like we have to <laughs> in press conferences. <laughs> <laughs> 
Jimmy Orank, who's the best at doing it. He did that one. He did that one time. He had a r- ranking of the order. So uh, Jeffrey Lurie in March of last year really, really lauded uh, Nick Sirianni's thoroughness and his hiring processes. Yeah. Um, and some of that kind of really makes the uh, firing of Sean Desai and Brian Johnson really just baffling because those guys um, should have been some of the most thoroughly researched coaching candidates. Um, so I was wondering if you guys could speak to that a little bit. And then the other part, the response at every press conference that bothered me to no end was we didn't play up to the standard. Yeah. yeah. At what point in time did the standard become we're going to win a close game at best? Yeah, real, real quick on the, on the um, yeah. Well, the Sean, again, like I mentioned it briefly, just like the Gannon thing just kind of put them in a tough spot. You know, winning, getting to the Super Bowl, and then all of a sudden having to kind of like scramble a little bit to find a defensive coordinator led to the Sean Desai decision. And I'm not saying like Sean Desai got a fair shake because I'm, I'm not entirely sure that he did. And I don't think the roster was great on that side of the ball. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, Jeffrey sometimes when he, when he does deliver his flowers, he'll just go way over the top sometimes to the point where it's just like, I don't think he's doing himself any, fa- himself any favors. He's like, cause the one example we had given him, we, we ran it, ran it on the, uh, on the podcast we were talking about. One time I called, uh, Nick up and he was in the middle of interviewing the linebacker, his 12th, 12th linebacker, uh, candidate, linebacker coach candidate. And he's like, 12, can you believe that? I'm like, okay. I mean, like, I don't know if that's great or not. Maybe it's settled out, Jeffrey. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Well, so, well, so like and the, the guy you ended up with, everyone told me right off the bat, they're like, this guy's not going to be good enough. He's like, he never coached in the pros and, yeah, but, and, and he just, and he wasn't. And like to build on, on that, Jeff hit it on the head in terms of the timing. The pool of candidates you're hiring across the board, line, for defense coordinator, linebackers coach, DB's coach. It's, it's different when you do it, uh, in mid-February than when you do it in mid-January. Um, and that's the benefit they have this year. So last year, there was a lot of promoting from within. And they, and, and the pool of candidates were college guys for the most part, uh, because everyone, every other job had been filled and the, the timing of, of, of Gannon leading, uh, certainly hurt them. On the offensive side, Brian Johnson was going to be an offensive coordinator last year, whether it was in Philly or somewhere else. Uh, he chose Philly, um, but he, he had options. And, and, and so I, I think that was kind of a foregone conclusion. A matter of fact, I think if, if the Eagles didn't promote him, then I, I, I think it would have been Kevin Petullo as the offensive coordinator last year. Right, but also factoring that, I mean, like, it was, he was Jalen's hand-picked yeah. guy. We can go next question. Yeah. Hi. I've got, first, I want to disagree in terms of the Jason Kelsey predictions. I think he's definitely coming back. All right. Definitely. <laughs> For our purposes, that's I'm not, sure that's everyone here is happy with your yeah. response <laughs> and not I ours. Mean, everybody would want to quit after the last six or seven games, right? It had to be down, but he never like came out and said, I'm retiring like after that. It was like rumors, like he said this and he said, well, I didn't really say that. And you know, you hear him like he's waffling all and then, but you, Anybody who sees like Jason, K- Jason Kelsey out in like the Super Bowl, like how energetic he is, like that guy's like football. He lives, eat, and breathes it. He's coming back. That's first one. <laughs> the second thing is, I want to ask you guys. We had a season where they had like all these wins and all these losses. If you flip a coin, you got a fifty-fifty chance of it being heads or tails. 
And I think any one of the games that they played, except a couple, this entire season, you could have flipped a coin and maybe they won, maybe they lost. They were all kind of like, you know, as a fan, it was like sit, I, I don't remember a game where I was like really calm at all, like the whole game, right? Yeah. And if you, if they ended up with the same record, but instead of like winning 10 and 1 and then losing less, it was like won three, lost two, won five, won whatever, with the same record. Do you think that with this outcome, people would be feeling the same as the way it came out? Because I think a lot of just the ball bounced the right way or the wrong way for them in a given game. I think you should work for the Eagles PR staff because they love, <laughs> yeah. they love to present stuff to us in this type of manner. They're like, well, if expectations were this way versus that way, then everyone in Philadelphia wouldn't be upset. Um, but like to your point, and I kept thinking about this when I was watching these two teams in the Super Bowl, um, and I was there in Las Vegas, is that I thought this was the year um, that any number of teams could have won the Super Bowl because I just felt like the top teams weren't even there. And this was the year to beat the Chiefs. They were not at their start. This is probably the weakest team since Pat Mahomes has been the starter. The Eagles had to be watching that Super Bowl and been like, and why like, can't we, why oh, couldn't I mean, we they, get that version? That was a sloppily played <laughs> Super Bowl. And I'm sure the Eagles kept telling themselves that, like, you know, and, and they were just winning games narrowly, but, like, it was still enough to beat the Chiefs. They beat the Bills, who then after that ended up being the, probably the best team in the NFL at that time. Like, if things had gone a little differently in some of those games that they were close to Seahawks game, um, now it did get away from them at the end. I mean, they I'll, re- I'll respectfully disagree on. So the, the the wins, I think a lot of them could have been like coin flipped. They had they got their asses kicked by the 49ers and the Bucks, the Cowboys, and the, Bucks. the Giants in the last game of the season, yeah, and the Buccaneers in the yeah. playoffs. So it yeah. did slip away, but it was like that for well, a for, while for the half, first half of the season. But for I'm sure, sure and this flippy. is the, this is what they have to ask themselves right now, and this is what Howie really has to be asking himself, and Jeffrey obviously is involved in that. And I've had these discussions with previous. Eagles, Andy Reid and Joe Banner, and I remember them coming off 2010, and one of the messages I received from Joe Banner at the time was, after the, for, after the Packers won that Super Bowl, I think like in my text message was like, we almost beat that team in the first round of the playoffs, <laughs> we should have been that team. So they won in the 2011 thinking that we are narrowly close to winning another Super Bowl, and they made all these like dream team, dream team type moves, and we all know what happened there. So, uh, do they think this team is good enough to get back yeah. again? And and what do you think, Zach? They're, think, they're thinking there. Uh, well, I I think they do think so, and I think because I think they better be careful about that. Yeah, and yeah, they they do need to be careful, and there's a lot that's going to happen during this next month and a half in terms of the roster. But like point differential is is a very telling statistic. And if you look at their point differential in the years that they went to the Super Bowl, uh, in, 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 in 2022, in 2017, in 2004, um, you're looking at triple digits. And last year, the point differential was, was one of the worst they've had in the past 25 years. And, and uh, even when they were 10 and one, I think it was like plus 61 at that point. There were four teams at that point in triple digits. And so that, that shows you that even though they were winning, um, they, they didn't have the same type of dominance that teams like the Bills, the Ravens. Uh, and, and, and just to finish that point, they had the same point differential at, at, at that point as the Chiefs. The Chiefs peaked late in the year. The Eagles regressed late in the year. Anyone else have a question? We'll try and have just one person answer each question to, yeah. to move it along quicker. <laughs> This is fun, though. Yeah. All right. uh, two questions related to the end of the year. It's still hard to believe they collapsed the way they did. I'm interested in what you think was the main reason for that to happen. 
and sort of drilling down a bit, one of the things they seemingly could not do was make adjustments. So they struggled against the blitz week after week with very little evidence that they made adjustments. Any comments on yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing, and they were already losing by this point, I mean, they, I mean, part of the reason that they switched from Sean Desai to Matt Patricia was they had a game against the Bills where they gave up over 500 yards and 30-something points. They got destroyed by the 49ers, did whatever they wanted to them. And, the and, Cowboys, and that was not the blitz. They didn't blitz at all. The that Cowboys game. game after that, I believe. But Bills, 49ers, Cowboys, Cowboys killed them in that game, did whatever they wanted, basically offensively. And that's why, or excuse yeah, the, the Cowboys offensively. Uh, that probably contributed to, okay, we got to do something different. So they tried to adjust in that case, but they just made a crazy decision. Like, I think, like, you know, changing defensive quarters, Zach had actually written about this, uh, where the, the Ravens, I believe, made a, an yeah. offensive coordinator switch, you know, kind of at the, at a similar point in the season. But to look at Matt Patricia and go, that's the guy we want to switch to. I was like, what? Really? Him? So they made that decision and it backfired horribly. But I think um, it, it really just fell apart across the board. And I don't think there's really, I think like, you know, when we think of, when we look back at failings in anything, whether it's football or just generally in life, we want to pinpoint one thing. But I think there's a cavalcade of things that happened from the defensive coordinator switch to players just not playing as well anymore to, you know, teams really figuring out how to stop uh, the Eagles offense. All of it all kind of happened at the same time. And it also kind of happened at a time when they faced like that really hard stretch of their schedule. And they're just playing these really hard teams week after week after week. And I think that took a lot out of them as well. They were playing a ton of snaps on defense, for example. Like, I think Josh Sweat played like 81 snaps in one game, which is insane. And it all kind of snowballed, and we saw what happened at the end of the season. But obviously, they got outcoached, as I mentioned earlier, in pretty much every one of those games down the stretch. So I don't think it was one thing. I think it's like a lot of things that contributed to it, and they all just kind of, boom, happened at the same time. I saw another hand up there. Uh... Uh, so last year clearly ended poorly. We all know that. But in Philly, it's always the next year. It's always our year. So looking forward, I guess my question to you is, how excited are you guys to go to Brazil? And who do you think the opponent is going to be? Well, G G Jimmy and I are always like joking and texting about, like, we were hoping for Munich. I mean, let's yeah. be... Let's be. <laughs> Well, I mean, there was like what the, I Jimmy doesn't like flying though, so the sound. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm giving away That's too okay. much. The, the day that got announced, it was like, it was like winning a trip on The Price Is Right, because like, I didn't know I was going to Brazil when I woke up in that morning, and then oh, I'm going to Brazil. That's great. But as far as the opponent goes, so you look at their home opponents next year. It's not going to be any of the three NFC East teams because it's a home game for the Eagles, so they're not going to you know, take away a home game against a division rival. They're probably not going to take uh, an NFC game. They're probably gonna ha not going to have like an, have them play another NFC team, rather, week one in Brazil. So you look at the AFC teams they play next year. It's the Steelers, and they're not going to have that do that because they want to have, like, the, the battle of PA. They're not the, the Browns, and then who's the third? Well, those you thought about this way more. Who's than the I third have. AFC team? <laughs> those are the home. What's that? Uh, they play the Jaguars, but oh, the Jaguars yeah. play in London, so they're not going to make the Jaguars play two international games. So, 
My bet is they play the Browns in Brazil, which makes sense too because they, it's, you know, it's a decent enough team. They made the playoffs last year. I would say Eagles Browns week one. All right. Anyone else? Uh, All right. Uh, good evening, guys. Thanks for this. Um, I just want to say to the gentleman a couple of questions ago. He, it's a great segue here because you bring up the lovely Eagles PR team that insists that Quez Watkins on the regular is like <laughs> a legitimate, like professional football player. So I want to ask you guys, as men of the media, yeah, what are you going to do? But as men of the media, um, thinking about anytime we watch like press conferences or whatever, everyone feels especially trained up and guarded. I think especially like after Nick Sirianni's opening presser, I guess that sparked like a PR great leap forward. How does that do like for your job, like whether it's difficulty, knowing that everyone's coached up, everyone's trained up, whether it's just getting information or you hear the same repetitive stuff. What does that do for the difficulty of your job or how you report? Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. It's, it's, it's a part of the job. And I understand a press conference in particular is, is, is performative by nature, right? So they're not answering your question. At that point, they're speaking to the camera. They're speaking to the fans. They're, in some cases, they're speaking to the players. In some cases, they're speaking to the other team. They're speaking to everyone except the person answer, asking the question at, the, at that point. Um, and so you kind of know that going in. And so you use press conferences for certain things. You know, you're not trying to get them to kind of bear their soul when they're at the lectern. Um, you're using it more for, like, you know, the try to get specific information that is designed for those press conferences. And then, you know, we're fortunate to be in the locker room every day or, you know, three days a week, uh, and then post game. And that's a chance where they're speaking to you. They're not speaking to the camera. Like when, when Jeff is, is sitting with, with, uh, Jason Kelsey, Jason Kelsey's not talking to a thousand people. He's, he's talking to Jeff. And I think that, so, so kind of understanding the nature of press conferences and, uh, you know, I've, I've been on the beat going into year 13. Um, Jimmy's going into year 12. Uh, Jeff's going into year 16. Like 37 or something like that. Yeah. So, so, so <laughs> when you've like... done it for that period of time, um, you're able to kind of discern the message and the messenger and, uh, you, you, you kind of need to be nuanced about it. Yeah, I mean, I'll just never forget how tough it was during COVID when we were doing them by Zoom. And, um, you know, I mean, it was it was difficult, and then fans would watch them. And it was like a different type of question that you can ask in that scenario. We'd only get one question per person versus what we do generally most of our times when we talk to the players, just like get in the locker room and try and get them alone um, by their stall, especially if you want to talk to something that has nothing to do with Whatever may even be having the team, if you want to do a feature, if you want to uh, find out more about them or, or find out more about the team or just actually have a conversation off to the side. Yeah, but not even have like a recorder running. Yeah. Right. And, and it was, but it also became the point where like, you know, fans who tend to generally view us as the enemy, um, would take that opportunity if like if a player would, would like kind of like, I remember I, one time I asked Jalen Hurts, I was doing a question, story about him. Um, and how he performed in playoff games over his entire career. And his first playoff game was for his high school team at Chan- Channel View. And they had never been in a high, sc- uh, uh, never been in a playoff game for like 20 years while his dad was coaching. And I asked them about that. Now they got their asses kicked uh, in that game, but I want to ask him what he, I wanted to know what he learned about that. And he kind of like, he did not like that. He next question, questioned yeah. me. And everyone's like, oh, he got you. He got you. And like, and I remember I went back to jail in the final year and I said, hey, you know, 
that the whole, I, normally I would have asked you that just by, at your locker stall, and you would have just, maybe you would have next questioned me there, but not everybody would have been able to see, yeah. see it, but that's kind of how, it, that's it, a little it, bit, and like, what did he the say sausage when he said making, uh, he yeah. was, I mean, well, he kind of was a little mute with the, <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> He's being he didn't give me much, but occasionally he will. Um, anyway, um, just to give a little in, inside uh, baseball into, into how we try and approach our interviews, but um, we're going to end it here. Um, Jimmy has a great podcast as well that he does with Brandon Lee Gowton uh, over Bleeding, Bleeding Green Nation. Um, why don't you give that a little... Yeah, he said it. Uh, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> if, if you go on your iPhone, just type in BGN Radio. That's where you can find and, that Zach podcast. Zach mentioned his podcast. but like Yeah, I mean, the PHLY Eagle Show. Um, every, it's, it's on noon every day on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts as well. And I really want to thank these guys for joining us, taking their time out to, to come here. Jimmy... Zach, I'll see you guys in Indianapolis uh, next week. On we'll, we'll hit yep. St. Elmo's maybe uh, for shrimp, shrimp cocktail. Yeah. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uncovering the Birds is a production of the Philadelphia Inquirer and KYW News Radio original podcasts. Our producer is Brian Seltzer. Special thanks to Zach Berman and Jimmy Kensky for joining me. You can find links to their work in the show notes. Also to Renee Eiffel, Angelica Irizari, and Patrick Binkley from the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Fittler Club. Please consider leaving us a review or rating if you've got the time. You can listen to Uncovering the Birds free on the Odyssey app, inquire.com slash podcast, or wherever you get your pods. I'm Jeff McLean. Follow me on X or on all social media platforms for breaking news and updates throughout the offseason. We'll talk to you soon.